unless you have been and been asleep for quite some time or have not turned on your television or looked at a news clip recently, you're quite aware that there is a period of a time of strife, anxiety, heartbreak, and war going on in Ukraine. And there are Christians there that are huddled together in subway tunnels, basements, singing, praying, and praising God. There are people there that just a few months ago were going through the motions of life just as you and I do every day that did not wake up snug and warm in their beds this morning the way that you and I did, that are not able to travel and meet for worship unmolested and without worry and fear like we're doing right now. So before we do anything else, let's go to our Father in prayer. Father, we come into your presence this morning and we stand in awe of you, our God. In the light of your glory, Father, we realize our weakness and our imperfections. Father, we confess our sin and we ask you to forgive us our sins and our transgressions. This morning, Father, we have on our hearts and our minds those people in Ukraine. We woke up this morning in our beds. We were snug and we were warm and we were unmolested. We did not hear the sound of gunfire and we were able to come and gather in this quiet place unmolested by government. We're able to lift our voices in songs of praise. We're able to take the memorial feast commemorating the death of our Savior and we're not hearing the sound of missiles and bombs and gunfire. And Father, we're thankful that we are so richly blessed. Father, we're all too aware we are living in perilous times. Father, we know the forces of evil are running rampant in our world. We know that there are wicked and evil and selfish people who seek by violence and force to conquer and oppress others. Father, we would ask you to defeat these evil people. We would ask you to bring their empires to ruin as you have other corrupt and evil empires throughout history. We also pray for those who live in countries torn apart by war and oppression. And Father, we are especially thinking of those in Ukraine this morning. We ask you, Father, to give to them the strength to face the trials and the hardships they're going through. Increase their faith and help them bear their burdens. And Father, we pray this morning for those who served in the armed forces of our own nation. Father, our prayer is for them that they would be spared from having to fight and bleed and die in this present conflict. Father, we know there are mothers and fathers, spouses and children who are at this very moment concerned and anxious for their loved ones in uniform. Grant to them the strength to bear the burdens they must bear. Father, be with us this morning. Bless the study of the Word, we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 
Life brings us storms. The Sea of Galilee was a sea that the rabbis used to say was God's chosen sea. And if you're looking at your order of worship, none of this is going to match anything that's in the bulletin or the order of worship as far as our message this morning is concerned. But I've never visited the land where the Sea of Galilee is located. And with our world in the kind of turmoil that it has been in for so many years and looks to continue to be in, I doubt that I will ever go to the land where the Sea of Galilee is. I must be contented by reading descriptions of those who have been there. But I want you to realize when we talk about the Sea of Galilee, we're not talking about something like the Atlantic or the Pacific Ocean. It's actually a rather small body of water. It's oval-shaped. It's only about 13 miles long and only about 6 miles wide. But on the eastern shore, the mountains around the Sea of Galilee rise to about 2,000 feet. To the north of the Sea of Galilee is a snow-capped summit of Mount Hermon. The Sea of Galilee is said to be God's chosen sea because of its beauty. And also because of its prominence in the life of Jesus Christ. We don't actually know where the hill of Calvary that Jesus was crucified on exists, where it was, or where it is. We don't know where Gethsemane actually was. But even today, 2,000 years later, we can be certain where the Sea of Galilee is. Because the Sea of Galilee rolls today just as it did in the days of Jesus. The fishermen still fish its waters. The same brown mountains still rise above the sea. The same stars at night still look down upon that sea. The same storms still convulse its waters. If you take away the incidents in the life of Jesus Christ that are associated around the Sea of Galilee, a good part of the Gospels is completely gone. It was at Capernaum that Jesus made His home. It was at Capernaum where Jesus worked many of His greatest miracles. Jesus and the disciples preached on the shores of Galilee. It was on Galilee that Jesus actually walked on the sea. It was on Galilee that Jesus calmed the stormy seas. Now, regardless of what folks might think, and regardless of those who often look at me and say, well, it's not like you have a real job. Preaching can be strenuous. The physical, mental, and the spiritual labor can sometimes be quite intense. The Gospel according to Mark chapter 4 tells us that Jesus had been preaching all day. He had taught the great parable of the sower. There were also other parables and sermons that day. 
He had been using a fisherman's boat that day for a pulpit. Evening comes. And Jesus is weary and He's well worn. And He says to the disciples, Let's pass by to the other side. And Mark says they took Jesus even as He was. That means He didn't pack a bag. There was no extra baggage. They just took Him without even another cloak. It was a come-as-you-are party. I want you to use your sanctified imagination. I want you to, by an eye of faith, to just see Jesus as He steps over the side of the ship. And there's a broad seat at the stern of the ship. And Jesus lies down there. And He rests His weary head on a piece of sailcloth. And almost immediately... Jesus is fast asleep. One of the disciples gives the boat a shove down the gravelly beach. He leaps in when the boat is in deeper water. The horizontal sail is hoisted and the course is set for the dimly lit hills on the eastern shore. It's a perfectly beautiful night. The stars of heaven are shining down on the Sea of Galilee. The soft wind is filling out the sail. Jesus is sleeping peacefully. Someone throws a blanket over the Lord. I'm quite sure John, the beloved apostle, is sitting not far from Him. And it says that all around them were other little ships. But like life, The Sea of Galilee can be calm one moment and stormy the next. You see, the sea lies in a basin 600 feet below the Mediterranean Sea. The colder wind rushes down from the mountains and from the uplands. It comes down those gorges that work like a funnel to channel that wind down into the sea. And the colder air coming down from the mountains meets the warmer air in the sea basin And there's convulsion and there's commotion and that's what happened that particular night. I can, by an eye of faith, I can see Andrew and Peter that night on the ship. Experienced sailors, experienced fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. They're not novices. They know what they're doing. They've handled a boat before. And Andrew looks at Peter and he might have said, you know, brother... Looks like there may be a bit of a blow tonight. Peter says, maybe we ought to shorten the sail just a little bit. But before they can make any adjustments to the sail, the winds are there just like a hurricane. And that sail on that little ship cracks like the report of a rifle that's just been shot. The winds roar, the sea begins to rage, and on every side of the little boat, waves are crashing and rushing in. Smashing against the sides of this tiny ship. Sometimes they even sweep over the side. These disciples, they're seasoned navigators on the Sea of Galilee. They know what they're doing, but they're afraid. And you know what Jesus is doing? He was asleep. Mark says, There arose a great storm of wind, the waves beating the ship so that it was now full. And Jesus was asleep in the hinder part of the ship. 
asleep on a pillow. The storm didn't wake him. The thunder, the lightning, the crashing winds, none of that woke Jesus up. But the fearful disciples woke him. And they said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And Jesus got up. And he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And he rebuked the wind. And then he looked at those frightened, scared, anxiety-ridden apostles. And he said, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? You know, I can only imagine what's going through the minds of many of those people in that country we call Ukraine this morning. Because like the storm of the Sea of Galilee, the storm has come crashing down on them. And because of that, many of us suffer from anxiety. We wonder what's next. What's going to happen? What's the impact on us going to be? The storm of war is blowing through Ukraine. The storm of anxiety is blowing in our lives. And every day we feel the wear and tear of it. What is making you bite your nails these days? I don't mean those little things that nibble away at your mind. I'm not talking about those unimportant intruders that interrupt your day like a dripping faucet or a misplaced set of keys. You know, for some of us, misplacing our keys or our cell phone is pretty much a daily thing. I'm talking about the ulcer-causing big-time mental monsters. Those things that crawl in your head and go to bed with you. I read the other day that medical doctors estimate more than 25% of their patients are what they describe as being well worried. That means they have worried quite well. That they spend a lot of their time examining people who aren't sick. They're just worried. And that seems to be the diet of our day and time. Because we are plagued by the what-if problem. What if my car is demolished? What if I get laid off from work? What if my house is burglarized? What if I do get cancer? What if that war that's in Ukraine spills over to the United States? What if gas, gasoline goes to $10 a gallon? What if? What we need more than anything is peace of mind. We need to conquer the storm of anxiety. Anxiety in our lives. A lack of peace. That is a serious problem in our day and time. Anxiety, that's distress. And it's characterized by mental agitation and uneasiness. 
And anxiety primarily has to do with what might happen or what is going to happen or what could happen in the future. And we worry about it. And we wonder, what are we going to do? And you know what? Most of the time, most of the time we're like the man I read about who said, don't you dare, don't you dare Tell me worrying doesn't do any good. Because none of the things I've worried about have ever happened. And that's kind of the way we are, isn't it? But anxiety disrupts our work. It disrupts our family. It disrupts our social lives. It causes some folks to become so to the point that they actually become homebound and hermits in their own home. Anxiety is the most common of all mental disorders, and at the same time, it is one of the most counterproductive things that we can do. It's like sitting in a rocking chair. Now, how many of you enjoy sitting in a rocking chair? I'm the only one? Wow. Okay, thank you. Now, this means I do too, you know. But, you know, you can sit in a rocking chair for hours. And it gives you something to do. But it doesn't get you anywhere, does it? Worry is nothing more than a fast getaway on a wooden horse. And this anxiety and worry and lack of peace of mind is a problem for all of us. It's quite common. And it's not something that Christians are immune to. The most faithful, dedicated, committed child of God can worry and be troubled. But anxiety can hinder our service to the Lord. Because anxiety on our part is often just like it was that Jesus expressed to those apostles. It's a reflection of little faith on our part. Jesus said that night on the sea, Why are you so fearful? Why are you so afraid? How is it that you have no faith? You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us not to worry about food and clothing. He says, be not anxious for what you shall eat or what you'll put on. He said, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say that Solomon in all of his glory is not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and the Mars cast in the oven, shall He not much more clothe you? Oh, ye a little faith. He tells us not to worry about tomorrow's problems. He says, every day has got enough trouble of its own. Don't borrow trouble from tomorrow. Beloved, Jesus Christ offers us, me and you, peace of mind. I want to read you a passage of Scripture in John chapter 14 and verse 27. 
Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. You listen to it? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. To the disciples, Jesus promises my peace. And He tells them, you don't need to be troubled. You don't need to be afraid. In another place, He says we can have peace in Him. He also tells us in John chapter 16 and verse 33, He says to be of good cheer because He's overcome the world. If we want to enjoy this peace that Christ offers to us, there are four little simple steps to enjoying the peace of Christ. One of those is to prioritize things. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He's telling them, don't be concerned about how tall you are, or don't be concerned about what you're going to eat, don't be concerned about what you're going to wear. He says, you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Put God first in your life, and everything else will be taken care of. And then he says, simplify. We need to simplify things. We downsize. Most of us wouldn't even think of trying to take and get three balls and juggle three balls at one time. My aunt one time gave me a Christmas present. It was a book entitled Juggling for the Complete Klutz. And there were four cotton-filled balls to use to practice juggling for a klutz because the principle was that those cotton-filled balls wouldn't break anything or hurt when you they hit you. I was enough of a klutz, I never even mastered juggling for the complete klutz. And yet, how many things do all of us try to keep juggling in our lives all at the same time? You remember over in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is at that little home in Bethany where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. A home that obviously was a place that he was welcomed a home where he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They were some of his dearest friends. And he and the disciples were there. And Martha's in the kitchen. She's trying to prepare a meal and get food on the table for everyone. Jesus and the disciples are there in the living room. And they're sitting around and Jesus is teaching. And while Martha's in the kitchen working up a sweat and so busy and trying to stir pots and put rolls in the oven and, and get the meat cut. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha gets a little perturbed about it and Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're troubled about many things. One thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good thing. We need to simplify things. We need to just realize that whether it's juggling 
balls in the air or whether it's juggling a life. Sometimes we're just clutches at it. And we need to simplify our lives and not be juggling so many things. But there's something else we have to have. And that's faith. Jesus ate the last Passover with His apostles. And He called them together. And in John 14 and verse 1, He said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Okay, why not, Lord? You've told us you're fixing to leave. We're going to be without you. And you say, let not your heart be troubled. Why? He said, you believe in God. Believe also in me. We've got to have faith. And we've got to pray. When Paul wrote the Philippian letter, now remember that Philippian letter was not written by a man living in a penthouse. The Philippian letter was one of Paul's prison epistles. So a man sitting in prison writes in Philippians 4, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now listen to it. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will dwell in your hearts through Christ Jesus. Jesus said in that passage we read a moment ago, Peace I leave with you. My peace. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. The peace of Jesus Christ is not of this world. The peace of Jesus Christ is not the peace that the world gives. It's the peace of God. It's the peace that passes understanding and guards our heart. When we have that peace, anxiety and worry and fear don't need to trouble us because we belong to Jesus Christ. Jesus has reconciled the disciple back to the God of peace. Jesus has taught us, the disciple, how to enjoy peace of mind. What you and I must do is be willing to listen to and obey the teachings of Jesus. We've got to prioritize and simplify. We've got to believe. We've got to pray. We've got to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of our lives. I don't know what's going on in your world. I don't even know if Jesus is Lord and Master of your life or not. Only you know the answer to that question. But if you need to make changes, if you need to do something different for Jesus to be the Lord and Master of your life, this is your opportunity to come and let us help you with that as together we stand and while we sing.